Hey, Mark. Hey, Katie. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Unforget Yourself Show, where we use the power of woo and the proof of science to help you identify your blind spots, get over your own bullshit, <gasps> so that you can do the fucking thing you actually want to do. Absolutely. I'm Mark. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of Unforget Yourself and the creators of the Unforget Yourself system. Look, being a business owner is tough. Yeah. With vulnerability and with humor, mm-hmm. we'll be sharing with you the real stories behind the success of those brave and crazy enough to start their own business and to show you that you're not alone. You're not. Well, from the accidental entrepreneur to the laser-focused CEO, we have honest conversations about how they got to where they are today. We talk about the challenges that they faced and what they're currently dealing with in real time on their roller coaster journey. Along the way, we want to show you that it's, it's you. You are the most important asset in your business. Yeah, you are. So let's cut the bullshit and start the show. Enjoy. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the show. So today we have with us Vienna Hayden, who's the owner of Fifth Frequency, which is a full service digital marketing and consulting agency. Vienna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm always excited when I get to talk into a microphone. (laughs) And here we are. So for the benefit of everyone out there, can you tell us a bit more about, you know, your business, where it is right now and the kind of clients that you serve? Yeah, for sure. So I started the marketing agency just last year and it started off with a focus on the auto dealership doing service retention marketing. So everyone who gets those postcards for an oil change in the mail, I call us Mm -hmm. kind of the dealership ghost. We're the ones that are sending you those postcards. You just don't know it's us. So that's kind of where everything started. And then I started going down all the digital marketing rabbit holes and I ended up launching Fifth Frequency as a result. And I've been taking on a lot more uh, service-based clients and medical clients. I have a background in construction and real estate. So I bode really well with all of those home-based service guys. And then medical, I had like a quarter-life crisis where I decided to become a surgeon didn't work out. I really prefer being an entrepreneur, not being stuck in the OR, but I have this incredible medical knowledge. So I've been able to actually apply that and create a really cool revenue cycle management marketing model that is specific to medical practices as well. Oh, amazing. So you get to play with all these different areas of expertise and what you've been through, what you've done and try and find a way to, to put them together. Yeah. I mean, really it's growing different businesses. And because I'm fortunate enough to have experience in all of these different areas, marketing was really like the perfect storm where all of it came together. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all of this knowledge finally fits. I'm not the disappointment my family always said I was. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So with all these, this different experience, um, Let's just go straight into the challenges of this. So is there any any sort of challenge or or things that you went through that actually are the same no matter what industry, no matter what job you went through, there were consistencies where it's like, oh, I've, I've overcome this in that area, but it's appearing slightly different over here, but it is the same. Yeah, for sure. Uh, project management was where I really like started off. So mm-hmm. when I was in college, like the construction management engineering degree that I got was very heavily project management based. And when you're in the construction field, you're dealing with schedules, budgets, healthcare, it was literally the same thing. 
schedules, budgets, when you're in real estate and you're buying a, you know, a set of apartments and you're looking at having to renovate them, you're on a schedule. You have a budget that you're dealing with, with the bank that you've established and marketing. It is the exact same thing. If someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, you know, i really want to grow my roofing business. Um, I'm like, okay, well, let's dive in and take a look at your numbers and let's see what kind of budget you have and what kind of time frame are you looking at in order to grow your business. So those elements have always been very similar. Where the changes differ is just really more industry specific than anything. Like I'm not, I'm still dealing with subcontractors when it comes to marketing. I have people that I hire to do very specific tasks when it comes to doing SEO or like a media buyer or something like that. Like as an agency, I'm essentially a digital a digital contractor, I like to call it, similar to like a general contractor. A general contractor is not the guy who's going to wire your building or install the plumbing. He's the guy that hires the plumber and he hires the electrician. And so I am basically a general contractor in the digital world. And I'm hiring all of my different subcontractors and I manage this entire process to weave everything together into these beautiful campaigns to help these businesses grow. So it's kind of applying knowledge in one area into another and looking at those different similarities. But yeah, the the issues that I deal with on like a digital level are going to be totally different. Like, let's say I'm doing Facebook ads and Facebook's like, we don't like this. Er, Shut you down. Oh my God, what do I do? Like, it's, it's not like dealing with a city inspector in construction where you can be like, hey, Bob, can we just go have drinks and talk about this? Like, we'll take care of the code violation and fix it. Like, we can go talk to Bob. There's no Bob to talk to when it comes to Facebook ads. No, there or is Google not. Or Google or anything else. <laughs> kind of like, okay, I'm dealing with a robot. And because I've done enough ads, maybe a human will actually want to talk to me and have a conversation. So those are definitely some of like the different intricacies that we've had to deal with. Like real estate's been very similar medicine. It's kind of the same thing. Like there's always a person to have a conversation with, whereas the digital world, it seems to be dealing with a lot more AI and robots. And Mm. as we get more and more into the automation, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we face in the digital world. Nice. So it comes down to management, comes out to time, comes down to money. That's the crux of it, right? Yeah. The last 15 years I've spent working has been all of those things. Like it's just kind of a copy paste thing. If you understand schedules and budgets, all you have to do is learn the intricacies of each different industry and you can apply those things. Nice. We were talking offline that mindset is the great leveler, that everyone has these challenges, no matter what experience, how long they've been in business, how successful they are. There's always doubts or concerns or guilt or overwhelm that comes in. So if you're primarily talking about it's time, it's money, what kind of false beliefs, what rules do you see people live by that you're like, hold on, that's not entirely true. And actually it's holding you back. Or is it maybe, did you have any false beliefs as you were coming through the different um, businesses? I think one of the things you mentioned that, I mean, you've seen this across the board with various professionals, whether they're billionaires or little startups like me. And it's really that whole idea of imposter syndrome. And I mean, I've done a number of different things. So I've, I am very familiar with having the imposter syndrome. You know, you go in, especially like in the medical world, man, do they put you to the test? If you're trying to become a surgeon, you are not a surgeon for 10 years. And then when you finally get your license, you're done with residency and you get out there and start practicing, you're still the new guy. It's like, you can never really get on top until you're the old guy ready to retire and you're jaded and like, oh, I hate my life and my job. (laughs) Whereas 
you know, you go, you go get into like the groove of it with like construction or real estate, even these guys that say that they love what they do, there's still a level of grind to it. And Mm. there's a level of like, you get into doing 10 real estate projects. And then the next one, you encounter this crazy issue you've never seen in the past 10, that imposter syndrome starts to really kick in again. You're like, I'm not good enough. I don't Uh know enough. I'm not that guy over there, that guru that I can follow. And I think the internet has made like the whole guru syndrome to put us in this place of mindset where we feel even more imposter syndrome. I know Mm -hmm. that like every time I scroll through Facebook, there's yet another guru putting out an ad and like, are my ads good enough? All these insecurities start going through my head. I'm like, stop. You see the data on your ads. They're performing. You're good. It's okay. So what, and I what think, are those triggers? What do those ads say that trigger you? It's just the way that they look. There's certain copy where I'm like, I don't think my copy is good enough. My SEO isn't as good. That article is way better than this one that I wrote. And it's stupid. Honestly, it's insecurities. It's kind of like going back to the surgery. It's like, oh my God, my mom can yeah. suture so well. I can't suture like my mom. And I'm practicing for hours at a time on a chicken and just trying to get it right. And I think that's really the crux of where we all go wrong is the trying to get it right. That perfectionism, which ties back to insecurities and rather than just letting those things go and being okay with, Hey, I'm a work in progress. It's an article I read the other day. Just be okay with being a work in progress. If you're a lifelong learner and you enjoy doing this kind of conversation that we're having and you're learning constantly and you see those gurus and go, let me learn from that guy which I do, despite all my insecurities going, I'm not good enough. (laughs) I'm trying to always get good enough and changing the mindset from this whole trying to be the best versus I'm a work in progress. Every day I'm improving and I'm getting better. But it's kind of like, Mm. if you go back to your math class, you, you remember the in algebra, you learned about asymptotes. It was a curve that does this, but Uh it never quite hits that uh, axis point. So it's always approaching but it goes on for infinity, never quite touching that asymptotal access point. And I know I'm speaking like probably total French here for some people, but it's it's essentially this curve where you're always approaching that point that you want to get to and you never actually hit it. You're just always approaching it. So is that how and it feels right now with, with it, where you are, that you're, you're yeah. doing so much work, you're learning from so many different people and obviously very successful with, with the clients that you've had but you still feel like I'm, I'm still searching. I'm still trying. Yeah. Constantly. I mean, I, and, and it's funny because I've talked to guys who are doing, you know, seven figures in their agency and I haven't hit that like seven figure point yet, which is my goal for this next year. But every one of them is kind of the same thing. They're like, I just never thought I was good enough. I just kept going and you just keep pushing. And that's kind of that, that the rocket fuel behind you mm. is that desire to just always improve. And as long as that desire that it has, you've got that burning desire to always improve, you know, use that to fuel yourself to get to that next level. Because the moment mm. you decide that you're totally fine where you're at, that's called stagnation. And well, things tend to rot and die when it comes to stagnation. <laughs> yeah. That place called comfort that we, yeah. just, we can just stay there. It's like, it's comfortable. It's fine. It's not. Exactly. And I get but, bored with comfort, to be completely honest. I just want to go backwards a few steps because you said about desire and having that as your, what do you say, your rocket fuel. 
So, yeah. which is great, but that desire, that press forward, that keep going, that can be such a ooh, destructive force when it can. you become so single focused. It can, because you end up sacrificing, like for instance, this past year, I have absolutely sacrificed my health and I had to really come to terms with that this last quarter. Of course, right, as the holidays are approaching, I'm like, no sugar. I gave in this past weekend, but nonetheless, like I was, I had given up working out. I And really it, it stems from more of a childhood trauma of mine where my mom was a doctor. She was a single mother. She was on call three, four days a week. She worked, you know, until five, six o'clock every day. And she prioritized going to the gym over sitting down and having a family dinner. We had a kitchen counter where my two sisters and I would sit at the counter. We'd eat dinner. My mom would stand at the end. And like, this is in the nineties when she's like reaching back and has the corded phone that she's holding and talking to people while she's scooping food in her mouth, but she wasn't present. And that always bothered me because I, I saw these, you know, movies where it, they show the idealized leave it to beaver family and mm-hmm. everyone's eating dinner around a dinner table. And I just really wanted my mom to listen to me and see me and hear me. And so I just, I made a decision this year being a single mom that rather than go to the gym, I was going to stay and prioritize cooking and eating a family dinner with my daughters every night and making sure that they feel seen and heard. Because to me, that was worth the sacrifice and help. I only have so many hours in the day and sleep I also needed. So my health took a little bit of a backseat and I wasn't working out the way I needed to. So I compensated by just doing squats in between Zoom calls and trying to do like little exercises around my desk, but it's not the same as going to the gym and actually lifting the weights and giving myself that nice firm buttocks that I think I deserve. So that's kind of the the way you're, you're telling the story. It's so different from a lot of entrepreneurs where the presence at home is, has gone. The, the mind, the thoughts, everything else is elsewhere. So it sounds like you, everyone makes a, a sacrifice somewhere. You made it with your your health. You made it yeah. with the, the amount of sleep that you get. But you're like, damn it, I'm going to make sure that this childhood experience that you had, yours will not get that. I try. I mean, am I guilty of still checking and like writing an email while I'm at dinner because something pressing came in and I've got that one demanding client that's like, I need this now. I'm like, <laughs> you get it for you. Uh, and next thing you know, here I am being that a-hole on the phone at dinner time, doing exactly what I'm telling my girls. I don't want them to be doing, which is not being present. And so yeah. I'm a bit of a hypocrite in that regard because I've done that. Or sometimes I just want to zone out and watch a couple TikToks which are still teaching me things, by the way. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, it's sometimes I just want to sit there and zone sometimes and, yeah. and I'm not being present for them either. So there's a lot of different areas where I try to be aware and recognize that because that's really the first step is when you're not aware and you just start doing things at random, that's when those bad habits really kick in and build up. But if mm. you are doing something that we would consider a not so great habit, bad habit, but you're aware of it in the moment. You're like, okay, I'm going to give myself this time, five minutes, and then hop off. And that's what I try to do. I try not, I try to limit the amount of 
bad habit that I'm doing. Like mm-hmm. I counted the cookies I ate this weekend. We're not going to discuss the number because it's really bad, but I'm not doing any more cookies. Just like I limit my TikTok time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Having a, a healthy vice or yeah. um, rotating Balance. them and say, I'll, I'll put away the cookies, have a bit of TikTok. You can have different things. We all need that that dopamine. We need we do. rush and we're going to find it somewhere. If yeah. we can, and one thing we're, we're quite heavy on with our, our, our course, dopamine scheduling. If you can schedule that, if you can actually control the amount that you get and where you get it from, oh, you, you just found the cheat code. Now you're in control rather than it's control you. Right. And that's, it's interesting. You said those exact words. Those are the words that I have used my entire life in fighting off what I consider to be bipolar disorder that runs in my family. My father is a bipolar schizophrenic. My sisters have both suffered from massive depression. I think I run manic a lot of times, and then I fall into these depressive dips. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken on the attitude of, this is where the creative side of me, we talked about me being an actress and everything. I play piano, I sing, I write poetry, I write scripts. All of that is a result of me trying to be aware of those emotions as they're happening and not allow them to control me, but rather me control them through artistic expression. Oh, so is that, in that moment, is that more of a a release? Do you understand what's happening and then you use that as as a release? Yes, very much so. And I've actually had a lot of compliments from the therapists I've seen over the years where they're like, wow, the acting you're doing, that's, it's actually very close to EMDR. Really? And EMDR for people who aren't familiar, that is something that is used to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, which the first ex-husband that I had, he, well, he tried to choke me out a couple of times. So I kind of had to go through some EMDR type of therapy and come to find out the acting is actually very therapeutic in that way. And I know there's different techniques and things, and we won't get into that here, but you know, it, it is definitely a form of therapy because I'm able to actually put the emotion through a character and a given circumstance rather mm-hmm. than feeling it myself, if that makes sense. I am the character, but it's through yeah. that make-believe circumstance, basically. And by putting it through there, you get this release, you get the high of the emotion, then you get the release of it. And it's... I always frame it like this to my girls. It's that you need to be like Elsa and let it go in the movie Frozen. She holds in those negative emotions all of those years. And then she finally releases it. And she makes this beautiful ice castle and realizes, oh my God, I've got this power. I just Mm. have to learn how to let it go. Because when we hold on to that darkness inside of us, you do end up in destruction. And I think that's- It will come out. Yeah, it comes out as anger or rage or- or a yes. slightly in, in horrible version of that. Yeah. Right. In uncontrollable ways where you end up harming the things and people around you, as opposed to learning how to release it creatively and let it go so that you can then be okay within your own skin again. Or worse perfect. still, because we're all about unforgetting yourself. It's all about you. You're the most important person in your world. If you, yes. if you, if you got function, you're not going to help people around you. You need to take care of yourself. So yes, you could burst and have all this stuff come out and just destroy relationships and situations. But if it doesn't come out, it stays within your body. And on a cellular level, I completely believe this and I've seen it and I felt it firsthand. 
when I was suppressing emotions and thoughts, oh, my back was always going out and no one could find yeah. a reason for it. There was no physical reason for it. Yet wow. once I understood the body, once I understood a lot of emotions and storing emotions, I knew that my body was, I mean, some specialists say, oh, it's, it's your body trying to stop you from actually feeling pain. It's trying to get you away and say, don't look at that. That's too painful. Don't look at that. You can focus on this. So it gives you a distraction. I believe my body is more intelligent. I believe our bodies are trying to communicate with us and say, hey, hey, idiot, there's something you need to pay attention to. So once you have that shoulder, that knee, that back, whatever it might be, it's a little nudge to say, hey, there's something that you're not giving the attention to. Yeah, for me, it was migraine headaches. You had back pain, I had migraine headaches. Like we all, it manifests itself. And I went through a number of different abusive traumas as a child. And I never saw the pattern until I went to therapy at 25. And the therapist pointed out to me and said, um, when did you have these episodes? It would come out as food poisoning. I'd be puking all night mm-hmm. and then it would go away and I was fine. But we, my mom always being the doctor that she was a pill, there's a pill for everything. And so she turned to, oh, you have stomach problems. Let's take you to the GI. I got tubes down my throat, tubes up my butt. I was given all these pills to take. And I was, I, I'd always take the first few to appease her. And then I'd stop because I just didn't feel right. I'm like, there's something else. But as a child, I didn't know. My mom kind of discounted therapy and all of that stuff. And my dad really wasn't in the picture. So I grew up having gone through all these different traumas. And the therapist said, let's look back. All these different episodes happened when you were sexually molested, when your parents got divorced, your mom got remarried, like all of these different heavily traumatic episodes going, oh my God, my body was reacting to the trauma. It manifested Mm -hmm. the stress and the trauma by way of masking itself as food poisoning. And then I'd get migraine headaches later on in life. It's crazy. But the body was communicating with me as to what you were saying, like on that cellular level. And the crazy thing is we in society, we're taught to not listen to our sentient voices. I was sentient enough at six to realize that something wasn't right inside of me and a pill wasn't going to resolve it. That was masking a symptom. It wasn't resolving the core issue. and get really that awareness that you're talking about being in touch with yourself. That is learning to listen to your own sentient voice. We have this inside of us, the intuition. We have this, yeah, this awareness. Sometimes you've got to follow it and see what is it trying to tell you? Yes, but you have to listen and that's quieting everything around you and learning to be present within that moment because I have been terrible about that my entire life. I, I suffer from anxiety and depression where, you know, depression is being caught up in the past and anxiety is that ain't that tension about the future. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I haven't planned enough. I haven't done this squirrel, you know, that. <laughs> and so when we get caught up in both the future and the past, we lose track of the present moment and we're not able to sit down and just listen to that voice inside of us and see what is actually going on. So let's bring us back into the the business frame. Stay where we are, but into the the business point of view. So right now, obviously, we're we're hitting a, a tough financial time in, in the world right now. Um, yes. Everything is slightly changing. We're still reeling from the past couple of years where communication communities can't aren't quite the same as they they used to be. How do you manage this 
transition? How do you manage your own anxieties and doubts and depression throughout all of this whilst being a business owner? It's hard because I will be completely honest. Like I've had these sleepless nights, especially when I started losing the clients and everything, and I didn't mm-hmm. see the new business coming in just yet. I was, I, I started having freakouts where, I mean, I can't tell my girls that I'm afraid, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to pay the rent next month, but I'm going to figure it out. And I would wake up like three hours of sleep. I'm waking up going, okay, what do I have to do? And I'd sit there making my to-do list and then trying to sleep, toss and turn. And then I'm not getting enough sleep. And then I'm useless the next day. And it creates this horrible cycle. And Mm. I had to stop myself and go, okay, what is actually happening here? What am I afraid of? And the reality is it's that anxiousness kicking in again with, yeah, is it a real fear that if not enough clients come in, my business closes and then I'm, I'm screwed and blah, blah, blah. All of that nonsense happens. Yeah, but I'm doing all of the right things. I have systems in place. I understand how to get the business. It's just finding it and it exists out there. It's just, I haven't hit that one thing And then I started to hit the one thing. I started to trust. I started to meditate with myself. I started playing calming music at night and going, okay, how can I help myself to sleep better? Make your to-do list before, plan out your sprints for the day, the next day, calm the mindset, and then meditate and do breathing exercises. And the breathing, I had like a 12-minute meditation that I was doing pretty regularly and I still do. I'll just put that on. And I take my deep breaths and I release all of that tension. And I tell myself in the moment, I'm releasing this tension and I give it back. I give it back to the universe because it's not mine to hold. I don't need to take possession of those thoughts. There's thoughts on this thought freeway above us. You don't have to take possession of all of them. And when you realize that, that's when the mind feels at peace and then you can go to sleep. And then I'm refreshed. And next thing you know, putting in a 12 hour day is like, I did what? Oh, cool. Let me cook dinner. I'm good. (laughs) Nice. Love that. So people just, yeah, a couple of steps behind you. Um, Maybe haven't gone through all the different experiences you have and different uh, expertise and different businesses, but from an an agency point of view, especially, or any business with teams, what do you think could be the, the one last thing, bit of advice that you can give someone to say, Hey, this is a problem that you probably won't see coming but it's going to happen. Here's how to get over it. So the biggest problem, I think, as I, and I started a few businesses in my time and every single time, this is the one thing that always hits, not having a process and a system in place. People always think I'm just going to do, do, do in a business. Let me just get a client. Let me figure it out when I get the client. And there's nothing wrong with that, but Let's say you end up getting 10 clients and you're just doing the same thing you did when you had one client. What you do with 10 clients is different than what you do with one. And if you don't have processes and systems in place in order to take on those 10 clients, you're screwed. You're going to end up messing up on all 10 as opposed to doing a really good job with one or two. And if you have processes and systems in place where you understand the scalability and getting a team in place so that they can help leverage you as you start to grow, Mm. that is really when you're able to maintain the quality of the work that you're offering to clients, as opposed to 
going on the quantity. Quick one. When do you look at scaling? Do you scale with a team when the need hits or are you already, by the time it's hit, you've had that new person, had the new system in place? When's the best time? Because for a lot of people, I think it's, I, I can't do it right now. And then once the need's there, it's almost too late. Yeah. I There's kind of this weird balance and it's it's hard for me to really verbalize when you haven't done it, but people who have done it will know what I'm talking about. It's when you're like, okay, I've got my team of five in place. We have X number of clients and I've experienced this this past year. I, I was up to about 21 clients as of January this past year. And when we were at the 21, I really felt the threshold where I was like, okay, the system I have right now is not going to work when I get up mm. to 25 or 30 clients. Like I am at the threshold. I know where the time is maxed out. The team is maxed out. So I need to hire another person and then I need to find a bet. I need to tweak the system. And that's really where the scaling comes into place. It's when you're looking at business from a completely different perspective where it's not this thirsty, oh my God, I need a client in order to survive, but rather, okay, what is the most strategic way to then redesign the machine? And you don't hire somebody and fit them into your machine. You design your machine and you fit someone within that part of the machine to keep it rolling and moving. And that's the perspective that kind of shifts when you're looking at the scalability aspect of a company as opposed to just, you know, trying to get enough clients and survive and become the freelancer and eventually a company. Huh. And I think that's Beautiful. where that difference lies based Great. on my experience. And I've, I've heard some of this from other, like I've taken courses and I've studied some of these other gurus and experts out there. And there's very similar things that they've all said when it comes to that scalability, because mm. that's, it goes back to having the processes and systems in place without the systems, you're not going to scale. And that's where oh, a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, fail. I'm going to repeat another line that I, from an interviewee um, a few weeks ago. You can't build a business on memory. And that's right. stuck with me. It's like, oh my gosh, that is so well put. And yeah. it's true. And that's what I made sure to do when I started this business. I, the moment I started, I was like, okay, I need to write down these processes because at some point I have to fire myself and hire somebody else to do this. And how are they going to do it if I'm sitting there going, no, 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 do that, do that. And then I have to micromanage them. It's mm -hmm. stupid. If I can't recreate this process to make it very simple and easy and like, I have videos, explanations, all of the stuff in there. And we call those an SOP, standard operating procedure. Without those SOPs, I would not have been able to scale. So that was probably the smartest thing I did because when I started my construction business, I didn't think about that. I was so used to just doing the operations and then going out and finding extra clients. And I didn't know how to put the pieces together. I was a 22-year-old idiot. So... <laughs> you know, going from being the 22 year old idiot to, okay, how can I do it better this time? And that's like part of those failures. Like you need to have a few that's failures it. of companies. How so you I know how to do it better. How can I do it better next time? That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, That's the way it should be. If we can yeah. learn in the moment with presence and awareness, how can we do it better? Yeah. If you're doing it more than once, twice, make it into a system, make it into a process. Exclude yourself from that, that task. Yeah. How do you fire yourself from your own job? Like, what How are you do doing? How do you fire yourself? Love that. Yeah. <laughs> I heard so that in job, one of the other courses I took. 
as a business owner is how to fire yourself. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm taking that as well. I've been so many times this year. It was like when I got to fire myself from doing my data work, I was like, hallelujah, this is success. This is what <laughs> success feels like when I could teach someone to successfully do the data. And it was a complex procedure and process, but I taught it. And that, that was like a moment that, I mean, mm. it's, it's not making your first million. It's those little moments that really feel like triumph and success. Like, oh my God, I taught somebody how to do this and they're doing it successfully and I'm managing it. Oh, the, the, the kid without the, the uh, stabilizers. Oh, look, they're yeah. doing it. They're yes. running. <laughs> nice. So funny you hey. said stabilizers. I actually know what you're talking about, despite being American. And I know it's a British term. I learned oh, that because my daughter, we call them training wheels in the US. Ah. And my daughter started using the word stabilizers one day. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I'm like, hey, British, British friends, like, what is stabilizers? Anybody know? And I was like, oh, yeah, those are training wheels. That's what we say. It's that damn Peppa Pig, isn't it? I'm like, yes, it is. They call the trunk the boot now, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. so thank you very much for translating. There's an awful lot of British stuff coming through this where some people get it some people don't i'm like well every now and again i get a a blank look like what what's the boot the boot boot. (laughs) boot. exactly the car park instead of the parking lot like honestly the way you guys say things actually makes more sense the car park yeah why do we call it park i like car park better i'm taking i'm stealing that one you're welcome (laughs) take it take it Vienna, hey, thank you so much for your time. This has been so much fun. And thank you for sharing your stories and nuggets of advice. So if people want to find out a bit more about you and what you do, where can they find you? Well, for one, Google. I'm all over the place there. And I know that for a fact because I actually had someone send me a screenshot of Googling me the other day. I'm like, well, that's good to know. My stuff is working. But I'm on Instagram as Vienna Hayden. I'm on TikTok as both Vienna Hayden and Vienna's Beehive. I, I started two different TikTok channels. I don't, I'm not that active on it, but I did one because I like to talk smack about my family and joke about how ridiculous everything is. So there's that. And I kept it separate from all of the little marketing tips, tricks, and how to make money online, which is Vienna's Beehive. And then I've got a Facebook page, personal Facebook. You can friend me on Facebook, follow me, join the Facebook page. I don't know. There's like so many options on there, but yeah, find me there. Let's have a chat. And then I've got a website, which is fifthfrequency.com. And it's the letter five, not the word fifth. So five th frequency.com. Super stuff. Vienna. Hey, thanks again. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. You're amazing. You're welcome. Hey, Katie. Yeah, Mark. Want to do an outro? I sure do. Sweet. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening and making it to the end. Yay, you. So what happens next? Uh, We ask them the things that podcasters are supposed to ask at the end of an episode. Can you please rate, review, download? Subscribe. Mm. Yeah. But why is it important? Because that's how our podcast gets noticed. That's how people find us. It is, and we want all their earballs. <laughs> all the earballs all over the place. We do. Nice. Yeah, so please do all those things. We'll be ever so grateful. And then more people hear your beautiful voice. Or yours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. <laughs>